0: your inside pass to everything saints football we'll take you to the places most fans never go to practice to the sideline to the locker room following every twist
1: I drop the ball. turn pigs have flow and touchdown is
0: over. of the 2022 season it is
1: going to be covered by the saints for a touchdown
0: Welcome to Inside Black and Gold. Oh, baby! Week two in the books, Hootown Nation. We are Inside Black and Gold on a sad post-game against the <laughs> Tampa Bay Buccaneers, in which the Black and Gold lost twenty to ten. I'm Steve Geller, along with Jeff Nowak, and we are here to bring you the latest from the game, uh, giving you also reaction post-game from players. Uh, You'll hear from Jameis Winston, Mike uh, Mike Evans, yeah, we did get some audio from him, uh, along with Mark Ingram, Michael Thomas. And we'll give you some of our thoughts on some studs and duds from the game, guys who had a decent performance and others who did not
1: live up to expectations. Jeff, how was your go on the sideline? Yes, I got to watch this one on the sideline, Steve made sure to give me the bad game to go to. (laughs) Although, you know, all of the Saints home games, like there was a time, and I remember it, that going to the Superdome was a death sentence for an opposing team, right? True. I remember even when I didn't live here, before I moved here and started covering this team, there was this reputation that going to the Superdome was not going to be a good day for you. You were not going to leave happy. You were going to leave battered and bruised and with a loss. And, And that just hasn't been the case the last several years and you know you could say it's because drew is gone i don't know but you know it's been brutal to watch these games in the superdome last year you had the you know like they beat the bucks last year on halloween and that was like one of the top moments now it's like you lose to the giants you lose to the dolphins you lose to the falcons you know it's just you got to find a way to protect your home turf because this is a team that's been so good away from home that you can be if you could just Hold serve at home, you would be a dominant football team based on the results. But being on the sideline for a game, it's the first time I've ever watched an NFL game from field level. I know, uh, I know Murtis, Murtis said she was listening. She had some nice things to say. Let's see. Oh, there it is. Yeah. That was a i I was joe Money on the spot. That's what I like to hear. Uh and it was a good time. It took a little while to get used to it. You know, it's really loud down there. Everything's happening really fast. You can't, you know, it took me a while to figure out kind of where I needed to be positioned cuz like i found that you know whichever way the play was going i like to be at kind of that corner cutout so i could get as close to the field as possible like at the edge of the players because when i'm behind the players if i'm not like like trying to get a note about a specific player i can't see anything like i the only way i can watch the game is on the is on the screen so did you ever
0: have a moment where you almost became part of the play
1: no no not really um there was a couple in the end zone that got close a ball almost hit me because because that's what the game was was a lot of balls missing receivers and bouncing. Ouch. Um, but no, there there was no plays that kind of finished by me. Although I got a really good look at both the Mark Ingram fumble and the Mike Thomas touchdown because I was in the I was at the back of the end zone for both of them, and th- those were probably the the most visually striking things that I can take out of that game because they happened so close to me and they were both. It's like so intense. I was talking to Jeff Duncan from NOLA.com, you know, on the way back up to the press box. And he made a good point, which is like you, when you watch the game up close, you come away being like, it's amazing that these guys don't walk away from every play with an injury. Right. <laughs> because the the speed and the power in which they hit each other is insane. I am not that drunk. I, this is my first drink of bourbon. And I have I've taken two sips out of it. But, you know, it's been a long day. Like this day started at 8 a.m. So keep that in mind (laughs) as you say, oh, I'm I'm hammered. No, I'm I am exhausted, but that's fine. We're going to record this podcast and we're going to get going. And, you know, so, Steve, what was kind of your takeaway? Because I still have to rewatch the game to kind of get an idea, a better idea of how it kind of looked. But what was your kind of takeaways from watching the game at home?
0: Uh, The the definite big concern was with Jameis Winston. You just felt like he was never comfortable after that first drive. Things were going so well to start the game, I thought. And sadly, they only finished with that field goal. But it looked like there was a big day ahead, that the Saints were moving the ball down the field. Um, Everything seemed to be clicking well. But there were more than one occasion – where it looked like he could definitely, Jameis Winston could have ran for a first down, and kind of held up or threw the ball, and you just have to wonder was that back injury, his back injury, lingering in his head, and I, I totally get it if if that's the case because you know reports are that he's dealing with um, a number of issues. In, in the back area. It's not just one, one soul, um, one sole thing that's, that's wrong with it. I, I, I don't know um, how much we're going to get from the Saints though on it because Jameis Winston certainly didn't give us any clues.
1: Yeah. It, it was reported before the game that it was like multiple fractures in his back. Um, and even Dennis Allen wouldn't talk about that either. No, he said he had a back issue. That's about all he would say. And it's like, I don't, I'm not a doctor. I don't know, but if anytime you hear fractures in anything it's hard to believe that it's not something that um will affect you in some capacity how much and it's it- affecting him i don't know but it's hard to believe that you can take a shot to the back <laughs> in an NFL game yes and not get up and be like oh crap my back really hurts right now and it's like and it's not like oh you have to come out of the game but does that affect you on the next throw right are you able to to release the ball the right way and get it on target i don't that's the question i have because he was way more inaccurate than you know james is not the most accurate passer in the world you kind of accept that he has a really good deep ball he has a cannon for an arm but he is not always the most accurate quarterback he was off a lot today especially down the field and i i think that that's where if you if you were having issues that would be it with kind of that just kinetic motion and getting the ball released where you needed to but the frustrating thing to me is not that you know you have these questions about his back it's that Jameis was asked three separate times in his press conference like okay how was your back was it affecting you and this is this is basically what he said every time
0: yeah what's really important is uh protecting the football Uh, I have to do I have to do a better job of doing that to give ourselves a chance uh to win the game Yeah, you know, uh, everyone in that locker room is playing with some type of uh, banged up or something. But like I said, what's important is offensively, I have to do a better job of, of executing on third downs, and, and I can't give him the football.
1: It's almost like he's programmed to say it. He's like I, a robot. I mean, like, just say your back hurts. Like, I don't <laughs> – I we know, we agree that you need to do a better job protecting the football. But that's not the question you were asked, Jameis. <laughs> Answer the question. Um, but, no, I think – he just doesn't want the story to be about his back. But unfortunately, it's going to be the story, right? You don't lose a game like that. You don't struggle to move the ball the entire game uh, and not have questions about whether your fractured back. This isn't like a pulled muscle. This is like yeah. a serious thing. You know, You don't get to just evade that question, right? And it's going to continue, hopefully, next week, he goes out and shows, you know what? This was a one-week thing. I needed to get used to it. It's going to keep getting better. But, I mean, it's it's impossible to look past. You threw three interceptions today. And, and any time you see Jameis have a rough day like this where he throws interceptions, you're going to get, oh, it's Jameis, blah, blah, blah. In this case, I think the biggest issue was that he was being overprotective of the ball, and he wasn't pushing the ball where he needed to go. And then later in the game when you didn't have a choice, that's when the interceptions crept in. That's when you tried to force a ball to. I'll rank the interceptions. One, the, the the second one, which he tried to force to Jarvis Landry, was the worst of the interceptions because it was an interception based on the throw. Like that was that it, was the pick six, right? Yes, it was a pick six. It was a ball that should not have been thrown. It was not dissimilar from the kind of the sketchy ball he threw against the Falcons that didn't get intercepted but had a chance to be. And that was the worst of the interceptions because. It was a bad read. It did not have to happen. The second one was the one to Chris Olave that he threw that he underthrew it. And I it was only a bad interception. Like it's not bad to give your guy a chance downfield. It was bad because it was the third attempted deep shot to Chris Olave and the first two you overthrew. And you had a chance at. And that that third one you underthrew and Jamel Dean came down with it. And those have to be hits. You can't miss those. Like, these, this guy is open. And the fumble by a lot of it, man. At that point, it's just like. Finally, right. They finally God. connected, right. And you then he puts the ball in the on the turf. Like, I remember when Eli Manning used to fumble because he fell and didn't know what to do. It's like, you don't expect that out of a wide receiver. But you can almost see it happening in slow motion. It was like he was surprised that he had it. <laughs> just, right, oh. I finally got one. And the game wasn't over at that point. Right. That was a 51 yard pass. There was a little over two minutes left. Right. They go down and score, and they, yeah, they need to get an onside kick. But, you know, that, that does happen occasionally. It's not a great odds thing, but you would have given yourself a chance. Um, and that, that ended the game effectively. But yeah. And then the other intercept, my, my memory is, yeah, it was the one that was just throwing to throw into Juwan Johnson. And it was just like, you're, you're down points. You're trying to make a play and, you know, it didn't work. It was similar to the interceptions drew through in the playoff matchup. This game went very similarly to the matchup in the playoffs a few years ago, right? The defense is is playing well enough. You are in position to take control of the game, then all of a sudden a fumble that takes away points changes everything. And then you're playing from behind and the quarterback is throwing interceptions cuz he's trying to make something happen, and all of a sudden, you know, you're losing the turnover battle 5 to nothing and or 5 to 1 and and it's not that close. It was also a 10-point loss which I think it was 30 to 20 in the playoffs. This was 20 to 10. Jameis threw three interceptions in this game. Drew threw three interceptions in that game. Mark Ingram fumbled in this one. Jared Cook fumbled in that one. So yeah, very similar. And the way you lost is very similar where the defense did what it does. It dominated. The defense dominated Tom Brady. It was a 3-3 game going into the fourth quarter. Which I've is- had people come at me on Twitter and say like, oh, this was a blowout. And I said, well, that was No, it was 3-3 going into the fourth quarter. Which is surprising too, where you mentioned in the defense played so well, but they
0: still, they only registered one sack the entire game. And what's crazy is you look at it now through two games, the Saints defense has one sack. Meanwhile, Jameis Winston has been sacked 10 times. I didn't see this coming from this defense. We've been touting so much in the offseason, but there were concerns in the preseason. I was, I was worried about the, the amount of pressure that was not coming from the front four um, and wasn't being generated anywhere. I don't know what's going on with the Saints defensive ends. And it was really surprising to see a guy like Peyton Turner
1: being inactive today. Well, I agree with that. I, you know, it is disappointing to see your first round pick from last year inactive when he's not. Cause, cause when I tweeted that this morning, everyone's like, Oh, he's hurt already. He's not hurt. No, <laughs> he's not dealing with an injury. He didn't, he wasn't on the injury report at all. He just wasn't active. And last week that was Tano Tano Passanio was inactive. And I think you do have one too many pass rushers. So someone has to be inactive. But you'd hope that wouldn't be your first round pick from last year, who's the odd man out, but he has been. Or he he was this week. And it's weird because he did make a play last week, right? He blocked the punt. You'd think like having a role on special teams would keep you on the active roster, but no. But I'm not as worked up about the lack of sacks at this point, just because it's a weird thing where the first week, Yes, you weren't able to get to Mariota, but there's a reason you weren't able to get to Mariota, which is he's never in the pocket, right? You can only get a sack if the guy's in the pocket. If he's outside the pocket, it's not a sack, right? Um, If he's running, it's not a sack. So it's, you know, because they did tackle him for losses in that game. They just didn't get credited for a sack. In this game, and Cam Jordan brought this up, you know, Tom was getting the ball out so fast that he was essentially torpedoing his own drives. Like he was getting the ball out so fast that his team did not even have a chance to get to the first down marker. And that's, it's like, sure, you didn't get a sack, but that's why you weren't able to get a lot of pressure because he knew that he couldn't stand back there. So he was just getting it out hot every time. And that's what Tom Brady does really well. Tom Brady is very good at that and it's frustrating as a defensive line group. But I don't think, you know, when you look at the defensive effort that was put out by the saints today, the lack of sacks isn't what lost them this game, right? No, it wasn't the defense either. No, I mean, so it was 3-3 to going into the fourth quarter. And the defense got Tom Brady off the field. They were set up to punt. And it was special teams that had a 12-man-on-the-field penalty that set up that drive for a touchdown. The only successful drive of the day, which was extended by a bunch of other penalties – And like that was the only drive of the day that the Bucs really got anything done. They had one other drive where they got into the red zone and then uh, fumbled. So I'm not going to say that I'm super concerned about the defense when they dominated. The the Saints defense dominated that game. And they lost it because the offense could not sustain a drive and not turn it over throughout that game. I think you could have won that game 6-3. to I think there is a universe where Mark Ingram doesn't fumble, you settle for a field goal. And then the saints just clamp the rest of that game. And it's six to three because you went into the fourth quarter tied three to three. Like the defense was that dominant and you did not give them a chance to win the game. It's the exact opposite of how you won games at the end of last season, which is you didn't turn the ball over. You played smart on offense. You made them have to go the long road and beat your defense and you won games down the stretch. You won nine to nothing right? You won this exact game in week 15 of last year by not turning it over. And that's what you were unable to do today.
0: Yeah, I was thinking too that the fourth quarter this week was the complete opposite also of of week one in Atlanta, where obviously, you know, the team was able to come together, rally, and, and put things together for a major win. And this one, Every everything that offense did in the fourth quarter just went to pieces, pretty much, except for that, I guess uh, one saving grace touchdown to Michael Thomas
1: there at the end of the game. Yeah, it was a it was a nice touchdown. I I will say that it was a pretty like it was a he was covered he was double covered, and the ball ended up you know there was maybe like a like a foot diameter window that you could have fit that ball into like if you're throwing at the at the at the target in practice. And you're just trying to just chuck it into that tiny little window. That's what he had to do on that touchdown. And he did it. It was a terrible decision <laughs> to try to throw the ball there. But, I, you know, when, whenever you're throwing to Mike Thomas, a terrible decision is kind of like a decent decision because he can make you look good. And that's what he did there. <laughs> and so, yeah, that was like the one positive moment. And and to be fair to Jameis, he also did lay a dime out to Chris Olave late in the game. For a 51-yard gain that that Chris fumbled away, so he gets a little credit for that, I suppose. Right? You got to give him credit for that throw, but he missed him too many times early in the game for me to feel super excited about. That. Right. I was going to say the the other misses
0: earlier, kind of. I don't want to even say even out. There were still more misses than obviously what happened with Olave, but Olave yeah. did cough the ball up, so that's that's a big negative.
1: Obviously, there were there were a couple calls in that game that really bugged me. The, I think on both sides. Yeah. So the Marshawn Mike Evans one, we can get into that more, and that, but that's kind of obvious. Like at a certain point, you just have to throw two people out, right? You have to throw the two people out that were that were involved, involved in the altercation, and that's what they did. It's 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 malarkey because you're not actually penalizing the people who who committed the infractions. You're penalizing the guy who was targeted, but you understand why you end up there. the pe- The penalty that I think was awful the worst call of that game oh I know where you're going unnecessary roughness on Bradley Roby as Cameron Braid, a tight end is barreling to the edge of the field going to get a first down and I don't think he even hit him he just came through with a shoulder right and and I mean that's a 15 yard penalty on a play you would have been off the field like that's awful and uh, here's what tyron matthew had to say about that after the game i mean i don't
0: know man uh it's tough to play defense in this league sometimes um but i thought roby was just being him you know trying to make a physical aggressive play it's third and nine um obviously the tight end caught the ball as he get closer to the sticks the harder we run you know as, as a defender and so uh i just thought roby was just showing his effort you know what i mean just trying to stop him from getting to the chain
1: it was one of the worst calls i've seen in a long time it's like you're just playing football. It was similar to that call in the Titans game last year where I think it might have been Bon Warner. I don't know. But he got called for unnecessary roughness on Ryan Tannehill for hitting him in the back, like with his hands. And it's like, guys, it's already impossible to play defense in this league. You can't penalize people for things that are objectively not penalties. Like hitting is required in the game of football. You have to be able to hit guys. And this guy, it's a tight end. It's, it's not like this is a defensive lineman coming after a quarterback. I, I I thought that was just egregious.
0: I don't know what it is about coming to the Superdome and why all of a sudden referees,
1: everything turns into amateur hour. It was brutal. It was brutal. And, you know, they, they, I don't think this referee, cla- this referee group was that bad in terms of, like, some of the assessments they made on the field, right? But they were very flag happy. And in a game where the defense is dominating, the flags – that didn't need to be thrown, made way too much of an impact on this game. All that said, that play doesn't happen if you can count to 11, right? (laughs) Because that penalty came on the drive that was extended by the fact that you couldn't get 11 people on the field. Um, So, you know, you, you gotta, it's a give and take, but yeah, that was, that was rough. And it doesn't over, over, overstate the fact that you lost that game because you turned it over five times. In a, in a game that went to the fourth quarter, 3-3. Three, three, and the turnover battle was tied one apiece. You turn the ball over four times in the fourth quarter. You don't win a game. I don't think it's possible to win a game like that. I, I will say, I think there
0: were maybe two, three plays that went against the Buccaneers that were questionable too. So I, I, I thought all around that the referees had a, a not so great day. And it wasn't just geared towards the Saints kind of thing.
1: Yeah, I mean, it, you're, you're in a tough spot when there's a brawl that breaks out on the field and that's not the refs like let's be clear the refs on the field are not the ones that threw out marshawn and mike evans that is a call that gets made in new york so you know you can say that that's kind of a bush league way to adjudicate that situation mike evans came off the bench which should be an automatic ejection and went after marshawn who was just i would argue defending himself you know, sure, he might have instigated things beforehand, but that's not what he was being penalized for in that moment. He was getting penalized for defending himself against a guy who, as Mark Ingram put it, ear hold him. It's crazy so, too; is
0: not, nothing happened to Leonard Fournette.
1: Yeah, right. You would think the guy who instigated a bench-clearing brawl would would have some sort of penalty, but no. His, his you know, he's a New Orleans kid. They had to take it easy on him. But yeah, so. There was one other there was one other clip I wanted to play and that is the Mike Evans post game and I have not heard this. This is one that, that Steve found and loaded into our audio stream. So I'm hearing it for the first time with y'all. Time, you know, I just was trying to have my teammates back. Uh, all I seen them punch, punch somebody in the face like I ain't going to let that happen. You said you never want to hurt your team right? But these yeah. guys responded to, mm-hmm. to what happened right? Yeah. You... we
0: we got each other's back, you know. We've been together for a while now. We got each other's back. We know when we come to honors it gets It gets, uh, it gets spicy. So it gets spicy. Bullshit. Yeah. Who did a lot of more punch in the face?
1: Nobody. (laughs) I mean, like Leonard came to him and started pushing him and he's, he's pushing him back and he was kind of going at it with Brady, but that's not, you know, as far as I know, talking to the opposing quarterback is not, is not threatening. Uh, and Mike, I mean, he came off the bench full sprint like and and okay if this was the first time <laughs> that you had cheap shot at a guy from the sideline fine but it's not you know this is a this is a pattern here and i would be very disappointed in the NFL which you know that doesn't mean it's going to matter but i would be very disappointed in the NFL if there's not like a serious fine or a suspension for mike and it's not because he did anything that's like out of re- the reasonable error of okay, there's a fight going on. He sprinted from the bench during a play that he was not involved in to hit somebody. If that's not something that merits a suspension, I don't know what is. like. It's not a football play. And that's the reason it got out of hand. Like if it was just Marshawn and Leonard going at it, that's broken up in like 30 seconds. It became a brawl when Mike Evans sprinted from the sideline. And and to me, that's that rises beyond, you know. Oh man, I'm just defending my teammate. No, 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 no,
0: no. And and also, a lot of people pointed out too
1: on Twitter: uh, When did Bruce Arians become a, a coach again? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> that's a kind of interesting. It's like I, I think I think he's like trying to work his way back into Tom's good graces. I don't know, but yeah, that 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 whole situation. And it was weird because on the sideline. You know, the entire Saints bench was, like, in uproar, right? They were like, what the heck is going on? Marshawn was just standing there, like, sipping his Gatorade. And then they were like, oh, Marshawn Lattimore and Mike Evans are ejected. And he didn't even flinch. He didn't even, like, he didn't blink. He was just, like, everyone on the bench was just like, what? And he was just like, cool. Guess guess I'm going (laughs) to the locker room. Yeah, this this seems about right, you know? It's so funny because, like, we've spent so many years watching C.J., actively try to instigate the other team, right? Actively antagonize people and trying to get them to punch him. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Like that's his end goal was to get someone to get themselves thrown out by punching him. And like Marshawn, I don't think he did anything. And I think we talked about this before coming on. It's like, even when when it was Odell Beckham and Josh Norman, that's the really big one that I remember where they were just like literally just going at each other and throwing punches throughout the entire game. And didn't get ejected, neither of them, and that was the premise for why a two personal fouls is an ejection now, because it wasn't in that game. It was the Giants and the Panthers, and like they both got called for like three different intentional personal fouls, and like they were just like, "This is dangerous, guys. We got to get them out of here." But like in that matchup, Odell Beckham was torching Josh Norman. At that point, you're like, okay, yeah, the cornerback is just trying to get an edge by being antagonistic and and being a little extra aggressive. In this situation, it's Marshawn just putting Mike Evans in jail for an entire game. And the way he's choosing to handle that is by throwing cheap shots. Yeah, I thought it was amusing how Tampa decided to move Mike away from Lattimore's side. They tried, and it worked early on. He, He kept getting matched up on Justin Evans, and they kept getting pick plays that worked. And you know, I think the Saints reacted to that by saying, "Okay, we're gonna we're gonna shadow you with Marshawn because that's been proven to work." And it did. And Mike had no impact in the second half of that game. You know, even before he got ejected, he had a big first quarter. But yeah, I think you know, the, to claim that you were just going to defend your teammate, get out of here. That's that's nonsense. Because no one would have been ejected from that game if he didn't sprint down to the field and cause a bench clearing brawl. No, and, and like what's crazy is like you
0: pointed out just before is this isn't the first time Evans has done this n- not just against the Saints, against Lattimore. And it was so long ago that was when when Jame Jameis was still the quarterback of the
1: Buccaneers when that incident occurred. Well, Jameis was part of it. Right. Um, so yeah, he doesn't get a pass on that either. But so here's what here's what Mark Ingram had to say, because he was here for that. He's one of the few players that was actually on the Saints for that situation, and he was here again today. Were talking on, about
0: um, Fournette or Evans earlier? Because you
1: were around the last time this happened, yeah, right? Evans, Evans came off. Evans,
0: Evans cheap shot at him on. last time. and Evans yeah. cheap shot at him this time.
1: Yeah, we were talking about how we were surprised at Fournette um, – the call came from New York. We were surprised that New York didn't see Fournette. Um, if anything,
0: there was way more of them being – Egregious and offensive, like, and you picked the one guy who was targeted, you know what I mean? Like, I, I don't think that I don't see how that's fair. I don't see how any man could look at that and see somebody just cheap shot blindsides you when they're really just talking, you know what I mean? They're talking, gibbering back and forth, and somebody comes and just earholes you, like, blatantly. He did it twice. That was the second time he did that, to Marshall. Huh? And, uh, you know, nobody respects that, man. But, um, you know, it just sucks. It's unfortunate that we lose one of our guys. And, uh, you know, I didn't see the whole entire thing, but I definitely saw what he did. I'm actually seeing a play online too. I don't know how I missed this where Carlton Davis basically winds up and throws a punch and nothing, nothing even gets done.
1: Um, Looks like he hits Michael Thomas in the end zone. Oh, after, Um, after the touchdown. Right. That's similar to um, there's a, there's a clip of Cam Jordan in a similar situation and trying to punch the ball out. Yeah, in that situation you're close enough to the end of the play that he's trying to punch the ball out. Well, this is the play. This is the Carlton Davis play that you're talking yeah. about. That's that's the play right. you're talking about, right? Yeah. Yeah, so it's not it, it looks worse than it is. I this is the one that I was literally standing right behind. And so Mike is trying to rip the ball away and Carlton's trying to punch it out and it's like it even it even looks worse because it, it's not it's not a full wind up. He wasn't really doing it, but you know, Mike Mike is honestly trying to like rip out of that so, like he's being the more aggressive person in that moment. Um, but no, Carl Davis was being very, very, very handsy. And, you know, I, I think that if you had one major gripe with the officiating, it was that Car- Mike Thomas and Chris Alave did not get nearly as many defensive holding pass interference flags as they probably earned. Because, you know, you saw defensive holding calls on the Saints. You know, you got – you got if you're going to call it one way, you have to call it both ways. And Carlton Davis was the most aggressive physical defensive back on that field, and he did not – I think the only interference call you got was that one late in the game where he literally just tripped Chris Lave.
0: The, the play definitely, I guess, the way it's framed and just seeing it over and over and over again totally looks – Uh, worse than how you're describing it for sure
1: no and there's a and there's a play there a few from a few years back I think it was against the Panthers and Christian McCaffrey where Cam looks like he's punching down and trying to hit Christian McCaffrey but it's like the ball's there like that's what he's trying to punch the ball out and sure it's after the play which makes it look worse and out of context it looks just like he's punching a guy but you know I'm not gonna I'm not gonna you know slam a guy for doing that when you know you'll defend a guy like Cam for for what a lot of people would see out of context and be like, "Oh, he's a dirty player." I'm like, yeah, it's just football. But all right, let's let's wrap up that segment there. Again, you're listening to Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak alongside Steve Geller, and we are going through what I call the recovery podcast. This is for the Saints and Bucks. We've got about a hundred people in here on YouTube watching. We've got a lot of questions I want to get to in the second half of this podcast. We're gonna also gonna we're gonna start with our studs and our duds, and then we're gonna get to a lot of questions. So stick around. I'm gonna go to a quick break, and then we're gonna get right in. Into- And we're back here on Inside Black and Gold. This is our post-game Saints-Bucks recovery podcast. The Bucks had 20. The Saints had 10. That means the Saints lost. And it was more painful than that because the Saints defense, in my opinion, dominated that game and the offense was unable to take advantage. And that's the most frustrating thing is, you know, Tom Brady didn't do anything that makes you go back and be like, wow, this is the best quarterback of all time winning a game. No. That's not what the story of this game was. Um, He took advantage of of a Saints team that couldn't do anything on offense. And so let's start with the duds. And so my first dud of the day is going to be Jameis Winston. And it's not because I don't think he's a good quarterback. It's not because I don't think that he can lead this team to wins. It's because today, based on what I saw, either he... Is still a work in progress as a quarterback in this offense or his back was affecting him more than he wants to admit. And you know, whether that gets better going forward, there is something you have to consider here, which is maybe a week off is going to be necessary. You have, and, and, and hear me out because you have a long way to go until you have a bye week, right? You were talking week, what? 14, 13, 14, it's definitely, yeah, I think we got 10 more weeks before we, we we have a week off. Right, and so if it's a question of, man, his back is just at a point where it's just going to continue to nag at him. And it's like, if you can give him a week off and get him back to 100% versus get him for what whatever percentage he is right now for four, five, six more weeks, then I think you have to consider that. And you paid Andy Dalton, right? You brought Andy Dalton in for situations such as this. And I think you have to seriously consider it because you know what you saw today and and granted the Bucks are a good defense. You don't want to take anything away from them. They're very difficult to play against. They get after you as a quarterback. They play very physical on the edges. I think the saints are still kind of coming into their own as an offense. There's been limited time on task with a lot of these wide receivers who are playing together for the first time. It's only their second game together. Um, You didn't have Alvin Kamara, which limits what you can do offensively, but I think that as a as a team that understands that this is a long season and you just need to make sure you're putting your best foot forward each week, you have to consider that maybe a week off for a guy who's dealing with fractures in his back is what you might need to do. So he is my first dud of the day. Um, his stats, let's just go through them really quick. The big concern is too is like how, how
0: long is, is a week going to help with with that healing process?
1: Oh, I don't know. But it's something you have to think about, right? You have to kind of weigh that. It's like, will a week off help him? If he can get, you know, so like from today until two Sundays from now, will that be enough time to like get him back to the point that it's not affecting his throw? And that's just something you have to think about. Um, Today, 25 for 40, 236 yards, one touchdown in not completely garbage time, but pretty close to it, right? that it wasn't, you weren't getting the full bucks defense at that point. You know, they were, they were playing prevent. They were making you take time. Uh, so one touchdown, three interceptions a 55.8 quarterback rating. And I would argue that his numbers on that line are not indicative of how the game went, because I think he was worse than that looks. Um, because the, those are a majority of those numbers are from the final quarter, right? The touchdown, all three interceptions and a, Good chunk of that yardage was in the fourth quarter. Um, so the first three quarters of that game, you did not see an offense that could move the ball. They ran the ball well. That's one thing that you can look at outside of that fumble by Mark Ingram. You didn't have Camara, but you actually did move the ball well. So that's not a good sign when you are actually running well and you still can't get the thing anything going on offense. So he is my dud, my first dud. Yeah, I can't
0: disagree with that at all. And it was really disappointing I guess to hear about the severity of this back issue because I, I don't I don't know. I mean, to me, fractures, fractures in your in your back area, I don't know how the man's even going out there to play football, much less, you know, taking on a a Tampa Bay pass rush. Uh, he got six sacks six times in the game. and surprisingly, i I didn't notice any kind of wincing or him in any serious pain getting up, uh, just really impressed with how he dealt with that. But there were just too many times where I guess he was using, you
1: know, the the arm to overcompensate because there were too many passes that he sailed on players. No question. So this is how we'll do this. That was my dud. Now, Steve, you give us your first stud and then we'll kind of we'll flip.
0: Definitely a stud of the game I, to me was Pete Werner. I was mm-hmm. uh, impressed with him, sure. especially a guy that, man, there were so many questions I had coming into just the season because of all the time he missed with the groin injury, uh, had a salad outing in game one in Atlanta, another great performance uh, here against the Buccaneers. Let's see, had had um, eight total tackles, six solo, had a pass defended, but uh, just a guy who's been, uh, able to show off his range, and looks like
1: a huge key piece to this defense going forward. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, he has been a he has been a stud, and he's you need him to be a stud, and he has been one because you do not have a lot of depth at the will linebacker spot. So if you can get that, if you have him and Demario in that spot, and and again, it, it's important to to say this is team is one and one, right? This team is one and <laughs> right. one. They are one and one in the division. But they right. could easily be 0-2. I guess that's the negative flip you could put on it. Right, and they're not. Right. They, they, they played to a level where they could be 0-2, but they're not. They're 1-1. So this could be worse. You know, these were two – you know, week one against Atlanta is a tough matchup. It's a divisional matchup. I know Atlanta's not great, but they gave the Rams a run today. I don't think they ended up winning, but they came back. Right. You know, and I think the Falcons are a little better than we might have given them credit for. But either way, you won that game. You're 1-1. You're going to Carolina, a team that lost to the Giants – and the Browns with Jacoby Brissett, so that's a game you have to win. But this was when I when I projected the 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 season when I looked and I got them to eleven and six. This was a game I had them losing. I had them right. going. I had them starting four and one and losing this game. So take that for what it is. I think they they're still on track, but you saw a lot of things in this game that make you concerned.
0: And I know everybody was obviously all hyped up because the Tampa Bay Buccaneers hadn't won in the regular season with. Tom Brady, but come on, I mean, it was it was definitely a, a scenario where you had to had to think at least in the
1: back of your head that that the that Brady and the Bucks were due for one. Yeah. Okay. So I have I have one guy who I have to call a stud, and yeah. one but one note I have to make first: Chris Olave had thirteen targets today. That's insane. Why? <laughs> I mean, and you hit him on five of them, and one of them was a fifty-one yard gain, which he fumbled. So. You targeted Chris Olave 12 times for four completions for 29 yards. That's not great. Anyway, um, he's not the stud. Mike Thomas, 665 and a touchdown. He He's still a guy who you need to get more out of. Um, but the stud for me, and so here, I'm going to preface this. This is my stud, but I have two guys who I really want to talk about. So I'm going to talk very shortly about this guy and a little bit more about both of them. Shy Tuttle. How was? When's the last time you saw a defensive tackle lead the team in tackles? Yeah, does not happen. He had nine tackles and a sack. The defensive tackle group was was one I had questions about, and I think that you know that's that's really positive when you can you know you're going to get Malcolm Roach back eventually. Christian Ringo has been a practice squad elevation. He's looked solid. You know what you have in David Onyemata. If that group can be a strength, that's really good.
0: Yeah, I think that we've seen a lot of great things from Shy Tuttle during the offseason heading into this uh year that we were excited about. Uh there was you know some questions and I think it was the Green Bay preseason game where he had a big a bit of a goof. Uh but uh, a guy that Malcolm Roach Oh, that was Malcolm Roach, yeah. Yeah, the 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 Not Shy Tuttle, right.
1: Yeah, that was Malcolm
0: Roach. Uh but yeah, with with um Tuttle just a, a key part to this team being successful uh, inside. And, and, you know, I thought al- him along with Onyemata were going to be key for this game. And unfortunately, Onyemata just is
1: a, is a guy that still hasn't been really standing out for me. No, no, but yeah, I mean, you know what you have in him. Like, he's consistent. And the if you can get consistent play out of the guys next to him, then I feel good about it. And it, it's And it's also... You know it's really tough to gauge defensive tackle play in real time. It's one of those things where if you ask Dennis Allen about it, he will never give you an answer right off the field because he needs to go look at tape. And so you, I, you know, right? I'm not going to overreact to anything I see from a defensive tackle. But when you see when you see Shai Tuttle leading the league in, I'm sorry, leading the team in tackles, that means he had a good day. But kind of moving on. So Steve, we still need your dud. I would guess that the biggest dud is
0: the fact that. Uh, Mark Ingram, because of the fumble and where it occurred, and the the point in the game where it was, and it just it seemed to really suck the air out of a dome that was ready to explode, as you mentioned earlier. And uh, I believe Dennis Allen, even uh, we have a clip of him talking about how it was a big turning point in the game.
1: It was a, it was it was
0: a game changer. You know, I think the ball's on about the ten yard line at that point in time. You know, and and uh, you we're in a, we're in a good position. You know, with how we're playing defense, uh, that if we're able to put some points on the board, I think we we I think it was about a minute left to go in the third quarter when that happened, and so yeah, I thought that was a I thought that was a a momentum changer in the game. Yeah, you know, and I called that on Twitter I, when it happened. I said very uncharacteristic two weeks in a row for Mark Ingram. And I want to tell you, I got killed by a bunch of people saying, have you not been watching this Saints team? Do you not know Mark Ingram? I, I just never thought of or considered him a fumbler. And I think, you know, you you looked up uh, some of the numbers even to to really back that up. I was kind of surprised on how many people kind of came after him or me saying the fact that, you know, this was very uncharacteristic of him.
1: Yeah, I mean, let's put it this way. He's in his 12th NFL season. He has fumbled. 12 times in his career so he averages one fumble a season which is a running back you know that's you know
0: considering the
1: back-to-back weeks is is a huge deal considering the way it happened today right which is a good example of like I was in the end zone I was right at the at the back of the end zone watching this he had two hands on the ball you know he was protecting the ball it wasn't a situation where he was being loose with it they just got the they just punched it out you know and sometimes that happens but you know, he's lost nine fumbles in his career. He has never lost more than two fumbles in any season. In two games, he has lost two fumbles. And the frustrating thing is, if not for that fumble, we would be talking about how Mark Ingram ran for 60 yards on 10 touches yeah. and had an excellent game filling in for Alvin Kamara. Yeah, right, We would talk about... To carry, right? Yeah. Right. That's the math is easy there. It's six yeah. yards of carry and he looked good and he ran the ball. Well, he ran with power and it was that one play, you know, and that's a frustrating thing, but that does, you know, that, that play changed the game. So you can't talk about how good his game was otherwise, because it doesn't matter. And uh, yeah. And, and I feel bad for him because you know, you can tell he cares. This is not a guy who just like well whatever i had a good game and i had one bad play he he was emotional i i don't know how else to describe it like you could tell when he was talking like he was talking about the fumble and i, I i'm not gonna say he was on the verge of tears but like you could tell there was emotion there like he knew he let his team down exactly and i felt for the guy because you know he's he's been in the league for twelve years. He's he knows what he's supposed to do. He knows his job is to come in here and not put the ball on the ground. And for whatever reason, he's just been unable to avoid it in you know, the first two weeks. And it 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 bothers him. You know. And take that for what it is. He's still screwed up. <laughs> but yeah, it, it's it's tough. And we, we can just segue into the the first honorable mention that I have because I thought Dwayne Washington looked really good. Nice like to see him back for sure. He had four, yeah. It's his first game back since he he tweaked his hamstring in that first joint practice with the Packers. He missed the rest of the preseason and he looked like a guy who was gonna get run. Like he looked like a guy who was going to be involved as a running back, and that injury kind of derailed that. You know, Tony Jones only had two carries, right? Tony Jones was the guy who went into that. You would expect to be the RB2. Dwayne Washington ran so well on that drive prior to Mark Ingram's fumble. He got the ball four times, ran for 18 yards. He plowed through the line. He looked great. And I don't know what the plan is for him long-term, but I think that he should be the RB3 because I think that he just looks good. He looks like a guy who has pop. He looks like a guy who cares. And uh, I'd like to see him get a chance. And I don't know if that comes at the expense of Mark Ingram, but if you're Mark Ingram and you can't, and if you put one more ball on the ground, I think you lose that job because you can't keep doing that, man. You can't.
0: Yeah, and I guess you get a you got an honorary stud. I'm going to give an honorary dud out to end Adam Troutman, a guy that just I I don't know. He, he I thought you couldn't do less than last week, and yet again, he's not even targeted, doesn't even appear on the stat sheet, and I guess it's a little concerning considering you know, you expected more out of this guy in year three for sure.
1: Yeah, and, uh, you know, the term dud applies because, you know, if it's like if a bullet is a dud, it means it didn't fire. And it's just what it feels like for Adam Troutman these last two weeks. He just has been a non-entity. You have not seen him. And, you know, I think that that's a sign that he is just a blocking tight end in this offense. Um, And, uh, you know, Nick Vanette was inactive again. And again, I... I feel like if if you're looking for a blocking tight end, Nick Vanette is the better option as a blocking tight end. If you're not throwing to the guy, it does not make sense to have Nick Vanette inactive and to have Adam Troutman active, other than the fact that you spent a third round pick on him. Because Nick Vanette is a better blocker. Uh so I don't know. I, I don't know. But yeah, if, and at, at this point, especially with
0: your quarterback with you know a fractured back, uh, you need all the blocking help you can get.
1: Yeah, and Murtis says, Ingram is not a dud, maybe after another fumble. And that's what I'm – he was a dud today. You know, dud is a tough word, right? Because he did play well, but he – but that fumble changed the game. Yeah. And you cannot be the veteran running back in that room and put the ball on the ground twice in two weeks. It is too impactful of a play. He got bailed out last week by Marcus May punching the ball out. If they go in and score on that drive, the Saints are probably 0-2 right now. So you could argue that, you know, if not for Marcus May, Mark Ingram, would be the, the chief cause for this team starting 0-2. And that's something that you did not expect to say, but it's it's reality, and he's got to be better. One more honorary stud for me, Alante Taylor. When, Mar- when, Ty- when Marshawn Lattimore got ejected, he was forced into the fire. There's no Paulson Adebo, right? He had to go in there and play across from Bradley Roby, and I thought he looked excellent. He hit hard. He separated the receiver from the ball. There was a play that could have essentially ended the game on third down that the, the Bucks went for the kill shot and he went downfield on Brashard Perriman and and he went straight for the ball. He knocked it out. You know, he's a guy who you didn't you don't expect to see when things go well this year, but you see the you can see the vision there. You can see why this guy was a second round pick because I think there's going to be a point down the road where he is a key contributor on this defense and i thought in a in a in spot duty that he was just forced into the action i thought he looked great yeah and even
0: his contributions when he's on special team the guy yeah. looks like a speeding bullet coming downfield he's been really good uh, as def- a gunner yeah definitely really impressed with taylor and uh that was my biggest concern of him you know we were talking about the previous week of a guy that could fill in in the nickel role i just didn't think he had obviously enough experience or time in the defense to be on the field, but obviously coming out today in in that spot where they needed him uh, when Lattimore was ejected, uh, definitely you know got his feet wet, looking good, and can
1: only be more things for him ahead, Good, more good things ahead for him in this defense. No doubt. All right, this is Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak alongside Steve Geller. We're gonna come back with a quick mailbag, and then we are gonna get out of here and start thinking about next week because this week has been miserable. Stick around. Back here on Inside Black and Gold. First question in our live mailbag after Saints-Bucks. This one's from Doug. Just Doug, no last name. Panthers are 0-2, right? Yes. The Panthers are 0-2. The Falcons are 0-2. The Saints are 1-1 and, and the Bucks are 2-0. The sky is not falling. <laughs> not yet, right. 1-1, I think, is reasonable. It would be unreasonable if they're 0-2. And, and, and the reason it feels worse than it is, is because you know how close they were to be to being 0-2. But, as the great Dom Toretto once told us, doesn't matter if you win by an inch or a mile, it just matters if you win. And so we don't have to look back at that Falcons game and say they played like like bad, like crap, through three quarters. All that matters is it's a win. And now this week, it's a loss. And next week, you have to find a way to show up and play at your peak level. And I i genuinely think you have to, you know, I don't think that Andy Dalton gives you the best chance to win when everyone's healthy. But if you see, you watch Jameis practice throughout the week and you have to be honest, right? You have to be honest with yourself and you have to be honest with what you're seeing from a guy. And if his back and the injury he's dealing with is preventing him from playing at the level you need him to play, then you have to seriously consider sitting him down, not taking his job away, but you have to seriously consider giving him a week off to try to get right. Um, because you know, if you had a bye coming in week six, like you did last year, fine. That's not the case this year. So that's just something you have to consider because I think that while this loss did not do a ton of damage to you in the NFC South race, right? All you have to do is win in at Raymond James Stadium, which has been just, let's say it easy the last two years. Uh, to to even that tiebreaker, a loss to the Panthers next week would feel really damaging to that to that to that goal.
0: Yeah, the thing I wonder though is, are they are they afraid to sit Jameis to damage the his ego or you know his um, his perception of, about the leader of this team? Because I was wondering even this game, Jeff. Like towards the end of the game, what was the point of having Winston still in? And
1: not putting Dalton in when you knew your quarterback was banged up and hurting. You're putting faith in your quarterback, and you are, you know, Dennis said that, you know, he talked to Jameis and they both agreed that that he was in the best position to go in there and win the game. And at a certain point, you have to be, okay, Jameis, this is not true, right? There's something going on and you need time. And but but again, you know, to be fair, he was dealing with this injury against the Falcons, right? That's when it happened. He did, not, he did not fracture his back after the Falcons game. It happened right. during the Falcons game. And he went in and and led that comeback, that spectacular comeback. So to some extent, you believe that's like, you're right. You can play with this injury, but is it the best option? And that's, that's the question you have to decide throughout the week. Because the fact is you brought in Andy Dalton for a reason. You did not bring in this high-priced backup because you're afraid to use him. So it's just something you got to consider. And, and it, it can't be an ego thing. And if it's an ego thing, that's a problem. Uh, because this is just the reality of, of what gives you the best chance to win in week three. Not to win the rest of the season. Not to say this is a starter now. But just it's just something you have to... If you're as a head coach of an NFL team, you have to be able to make that decision. And if you can't make it because you don't feel comfortable with whatever ego issue is going to be there, then then that's a bigger issue that you have to figure out. But anyway. Nick chase on what's crazy is the saints have virtually lost any home field advantage the last couple of years. It's like, we were a better row team. It's Agreed. crazy. We talked about this already. There's no other way to put it. This team does not win. This home field advantage is not a factor at this point. And hopefully they that lost, changes. They lost five of their last six home games. That's Badly. wild. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it, it's a shame. And it's, it's, it's frustrating because the atmosphere I don't think has changed. Right. It's not about the fans it's not about the noise level. It's about the performance of the team. And, uh, you know, it's just got to be better. Yeah, we need we need some better home cooking. I don't know. Well, the food could be better. I've always, you know, I've said for a while, the food at the Superdome needs to be better, and they're working on that. They're working on that. what so part of this renovation is working on that. But um, Terry McCain, Tampa were the division winners. Y'all act like we lost to Jacksonville. No, I mean, like right. This is true. You know, you lost to a very good team. So keep that in mind. This is not the end of the world, but you need to fix the errors that you saw. And if you continue to see the same issues, if you continue to see your veteran running back putting the ball on the ground, stuff like that. If you consider continue to see Jameis overthrowing Chris Olave when he's wide open down the field, you know these are issues that you need to correct. And if you can, great. If you can't, then then these issues are are problems, right? Because I think those are two different things.
0: I, th- I think the one of the biggest concerns though too is the fact that this Tampa team was not at full strength, especially on the offensive side. The O line came in banged up, even lost some more guys uh in the in the game, and then the their wide receivers, Tom Brady didn't have his full
1: array of guys even available at his disposal. That's a good point. You didn't have to deal with Chris Godwin. You didn't have to deal with Julio Jones. Although but but the defense is not the problem, in my opinion. So all right. We got Tim. Who's? Thank you for the for the for the for the donation. Right. We need Dwayne Washington to be starting at least seven touches. He ran over Devin White. That's enough for me. I I liked. I really like Dwayne. I I think that Dwayne has not gotten the opportunity that he probably earned in the preseason because he got hurt. I don't think he needs to be starting because I think that Alvin Kamara is going to be starting, <laughs> and I don't think you have any question about. Alvin Kamara's talent level, but I I think that you you do need to give some serious consideration to that RB two spot if you know Mark Ingram is suddenly a turnover prone guy and Dwayne Washington he ran with pop he ran with power he can catch I've seen it you know and you know maybe that becomes more of a timeshare in that RB two spot and you give Dwayne some more opportunities because I think he earned it
0: yeah that's going to be interesting going forward just because. I don't know if the confidence of Mark Ingram has gone down at all, but you got to imagine that the team's confidence or Pete Carmichael's confidence in giving him the rock is going to be a little iffy going forward because it's been two straight games now. And like you just mentioned before, too, that could have cost them the game in Atlanta. They were fortunate it didn't, and it was definitely a big turning point in this matchup against the Buccaneers.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you you gotta get that stuff sorted out. A few more questions here. 504 and company PJ should never be allowed to play corner again. And you know, he doesn't, there's a reason you moved him from corner, right? I don't think that he is a good, a good cover corner. And you know, he totally lost that ball. This is not what he does well. And you, he's in this position where I think it was Brashad Perriman, you know, and that's, and that's tough. I thought Justin Evans struggled too. You know, I thought that 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 kind of rotation where you end up in coverage had a rough day and, you know, hopefully they can rebound. But yeah, that that's not a situation you want to see is P.J. Williams one-on-one downfield because he was in position. That's the weird thing is he was in position oh, and man. all he had to do was locate the ball. And if, if he locates the ball and, and goes and gets it, you, you might see an interception there. You know, in a, in a if that's a different guy, in that position, you might see an interception. That's just not where P.J. thrives. And the Bucks took advantage of it, right? It was a great throw. It was a great catch. But yeah, I think, uh yeah, P.J. is not a guy you want one-on-one downfield. And that's why he's a safety now. I, I've, a I've been a P.J. fan and I have defended him in the past to fans before. And today did not make things any easier, though. You're setting up a guy to fail if you put him in that situation, right? And that's, that's where, you know, th- there are ways you can avoid having PJ be one-on-one with a fast guy who can go up and get the ball. And, uh, you know, that was just a situation where you weren't able to do it. And, you know, you are playing one cornerback down with Paulson Adibo. I think that was after Marshawn got ejected. So you were all, you were playing two cornerbacks down, and PJ got into a matchup that you probably would not have had him in. So I'm not going to hold it against PJ. He did his best. <laughs> But yeah, it's not a, you're right. You don't want to see him at outside corner. And uh, that's why. Well, this isn't really a question. Move Taysom Hill to QB3 and start Dalton, then he can bring in that other tight end. I disagree. But I do think that I I would have liked to see more Taysom Hill in some way, right? The offense was not working. And I don't think you need to like, say he's a quarterback now, right? But you have him in the offense for a reason. And I don't think that he was used enough. And I say that largely because we've seen him have success against the Bucs before, not, not as the starting quarterback. And I just don't think that you were creative enough in finding ways to get him the ball. And so that's what I want. I'd like to see that change because he is a weapon. And especially in a game where you didn't have Alvin Kamara, I feel like you needed to be able to use him more than you did.
0: Yeah, I thought for sure, especially with Kamara down that Taysom Hill was in store for a big game today. And, you know, the limited times that he did touch the ball, they were they were successful with him. And I thought even in the game against Atlanta, uh, they kind of went away from him too early and didn't get back to, you know,
1: feed and the rock more. There's no saint. I am starting to wonder if we are missing Sean on the offensive play calling. I mean, Yeah, of course you're missing Sean. I mean, (laughs) there's no question that you are missing Sean Payton, right? The question is whether it's a big enough issue that it's costing you games. And I'm not ready to make that assessment yet. But, there, you know, there's no question that his offense has not looked good outside of the fourth quarter against, uh, (laughs) against Atlanta, right? So they did run for 100 yards today. I'll give them that against the tough Buccaneers, D. They ran the ball well without Alvin Kamara. So yeah, you give them, you get to give them that, but you know, from an execution standpoint, I think the issue is not as much the play calling. I think the issue is execution because you had open receivers. Like you, you had deep yeah. shots open to Chris Olave. Sure. You that's had the- opportunities. You you had the ball in the red zone that you fumbled, right? These are not play calling issues. This is execution. um, And that's, right, if-
0: If some of those connect with Olave, obviously there's a a totally different perception about this offense being, you know, stagnant or not creative enough.
1: Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm not ready to say it's, oh, this is an issue of not having Sean Payton. This is an issue of being Carmichael. He's not putting them in the right situations. I'm not ready to go there yet because I think that you have seen a lot, like in week one, there was issues with the backs picking up the blitz. There was issues with defensive offensive line assignments. There was issues with receivers not running the right routes downfield, and so you have to kind of weigh that against. You know, you can call the perfect play, if the players don't run it the right way, it's not going to work. And you know, if the if the if your veteran running back, your security blanket running back, is fumbling in the red zone, yeah, you could call the best play in the world, it's still going to be a fumble in the red zone. So you know, if you if you call the perfect play downfield and Jameis hits Chris Olave for fifty one yards, and then he falls to the ground and drops it. That's not on the play call, so you know I, I think that there's probably I, I think you are definitely missing Sean to some extent. I'm just not sure what the extent is right now, and I and I still have faith in Pete Carmichael to figure that out. But what we have seen over the first two weeks has not been, you know, it's not been a ringing endorsement. So, yeah,
0: I, I think Sean's reaction might have been a little more intense. Obviously, when the when that fight broke
1: out between the teams, yeah. Well, that's, that's on Mike Evans. Gosh, I don't like that guy. Like I'm, I'm not even saying this from a saints fan perspective because I didn't grow up a saints fan. I, I just, I cover yeah. the games. I care a lot about the games, but I'm not like emotionally invested in what happens here. I'm emotionally invested in the giants and they're two and Oh, you you know, but <laughs> uh, I haven't even watched I didn't get to watch that game today, but like Mike Evans is a punk straight up. He's yeah. a punk. And I don't know how else to say it like he's a punk you you lose like you are getting beat right you are not winning you are getting put in jail by a guy and instead your reaction is not okay I'm gonna beat him it's I'm gonna take a cheap shot yeah again and like like that's just punk behavior you know And, and, and like I get it he's taller than me he could beat me up I don't care He's a punk. Like he could run over from the other side of the road and punch me in the face. And he'd probably win that fight because he's gigantic and and stronger than me, but that would be a punk move too. And the, but then that's exactly what he did against Marshawn Lattimore. Uh, and it, I don't know. It, it's like play football, dude, play football. Like don't lose at football and get mad about it.
0: Sadly, the result was a huge positive for the Buccaneers though, too, because obviously it takes Lattimore out the game and the best corner on the field.
1: But that's why it was a good result, because he can't beat Marshawn. Right, no, exactly. So going right. one for one and losing Mike Evans and Marshawn Lattimore, that means that the Saints are at a huge disadvantage, because yes. Marshawn Lattimore is way more important than Mike Evans, right? And so that's Absolutely. all you need to know about Mike Evans, that him just falling on his sword is an advantage for that team. <laughs> like, what a – I don't know. Like, I, I don't even care that much, but – just that guy, get out of here. I'm done with it.
0: No, the the, re, the rematch in December will be, you know, interesting again for sure, because you know, this these two have had a history and it's just gonna get even more intense now. All right. Anything else you want to talk about, Steve, before we before we uh we, we knock this down? No, I'm just anxious to see this team get on the field again, obviously, and to get the the stench out of this game, uh out, out their system because I was sick all last week, but watching this game made me even more
1: ill. Yeah, it was painful. Hopefully no one sends that clip to Mike Evans He's gonna get mad at me. But uh, come, come at us, Mike. <laughs> come at me. I know you're not gonna come straight up. You're gonna run from across the street. But yeah, so we, we can wrap it up there and we can move on to next week. I feel like I hope this has been a good, like cathartic event for everybody. Get, get it out of your system. It was a rough game. It was a rough game. Thank you, Tim. Tim is a fan of my my angry Mike Evans rant. <laughs> and I'm a fan of you. Thank you, but yeah. So we're gonna get back into this. We'll have we'll have availability tomorrow. I'm sure we'll hear a lot more from, from Da, and we're gonna hear about all of the things that were messed up in this game because I think there's gonna be a lot of them. Steve is gonna be back with us. I don't know if you are you gonna be back tomorrow, Steve, or you're gonna have to wait till next week. I'll be back. He'll be back. He'll be back, and you know they're on the road in week three, right? Or they're in Carolina in Carolina, and then from Carolina it's straight to London. And then straight to London. It's gonna be a busy don't few don't weeks. We even
0: come home from that trip. Whew.
1: Yeah. So we're gonna we're gonna have a busy time. So we're gonna have to edit this podcast and get it out. And we're gonna do that. But this has been a lot of fun. I appreciate everyone hanging out, everyone who dropped in a comment. Make sure if you if you are not subscribed, make sure to go subscribe. Give us a review, give us a rating. I like to hear from everybody. I like to know what you like, what you don't whether it's you know, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Overcast, which Overcast is our number two uh, podcast distributor, which I was surprised by. I expect it to be Spotify. It is actually Overcast. So all of you Overcasters, appreciate you. And uh, we're going to keep this coming at you. Will probably The next one will probably be Wednesday. Um, I think the thing that makes sense is doing a Wednesday and a Thursday, but we'll, we'll figure it out and uh, we'll get back to you. So thanks everyone for listening. It's been Inside Black and Gold. And Steve, hit him with a goodbye. One and one ain't no fun, but
0: we're going to get back in the saddle this week, folks. Inside Black and Gold coming at you. We'll be breaking down Saints and Panthers pretty soon.
1: Beautiful. Peace, y'all. Peace.